Amen. How is everybody this morning? Praise the Lord. Good. It's good to see you this morning. Um, can we just give our worship team some thanks there just for how they lead us into the presence of God every, every time that we meet? And then can we give the Lord just a good hand clap of praise just for His goodness to us? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. So I want, I want to speak to you this morning. We want to thank you for being here, especially if you're a guest. Thanks for coming and checking us out and coming in the presence of God with us. Uh, I want to speak this morning a message about presence and glory. And uh, got a light flickering over me here, but uh, that's the glory of God, perhaps. Uh, but Wednesday, how many of you were here Wednesday night? There's a few of you here Wednesday night. So this is going to be almost like a little bit of a review, if that's okay with you guys. And so, so we'll get into this a little bit, a little bit of a review for Wednesday night because I, we were here Wednesday night and we talked about the importance of really praising God and giving God the thanks and the praise that He deserves. And at one point, everybody in the room, maybe there were 75 people here, there were less people than there are here right now, and everybody in the room came into a place of praise and thanksgiving. Freddie said, you know what, there's nothing like it. He said, it's the closest I've ever felt, felt to what the Bible talks about as a rushing mighty wind. Because there's something that happens when the people of God corporately understand who God is and that He is worthy of praise and worship. That He's worthy of our thanksgiving. That He's worthy of our praise. And a lot of times I think we can easily get configured to the fact that we just come in, we go through the motions, and we never actually enter into thanksgiving and praise. And therefore we never fully develop an understanding of what worship of God actually is. So I want to talk about this this morning. And, and I want to begin I'm going to begin in Exodus 32 because I want to uh, make a couple of points about Moses but the question that I want to ask you as we begin is how hungry are you actually for God's presence and power and glory when you came in here this morning, were you hungry for God's presence or were you simply coming to a church service? Were you hungry for God's glory to be manifested in our midst and for God to move in a certain way or were you simply just coming in to check the box? Because this is important in our relationship with God. We need to have a longing and a hunger in our heart for the presence of God. And I understand, you know, maybe you come from a different background where that's just not what we do in church. We, we don't understand. We don't even know if we believe in the presence of God. That's not something I've ever experience I'm not sure about that and this praise this worship the way you kind of act sometimes you raise your hand like I just don't feel led to do that people say these types of things they feel these types of things but I want to get into scripture on the prescription that God gives us for worship because he actually lays out for us how he wants to be praised how he wants to be worshiped and it's not because he's an egotistical God it's because he's a God who knows your design you were designed for worship you were made for praise. And everybody on this planet is worshiping something and it, is, and it is revealed by what they give their heart, what they give their passion to. And I'm going to say that a lot of times the things that you worship and should be acting about toward God, you see those same manifestations happening in other areas of your life, but you don't realize it. So here's the thing. God, if you remember back in the book of Exodus, God brings Moses out of Egypt. And he brings him out of Egypt. And for 40 years he's in the wilderness. He has an encounter with the living presence of God in a burning bush. God sends Moses back into Egypt. And he goes to Pharaoh. And God commands him to say, Hey, Pharaoh, God says, Let my people go for what? So that they may worship me in the wilderness. Pharaoh instantly puts up resistance because what 
the enemy never wants you to do is to come out from the bondage and the enslavement of this world system and your sin into a place of vibrant worshiping God. God says, turn them loose so that they may come into the wilderness for one reason, to worship me in the wilderness. This whole thing is about us being set free from the systems of this world, from the demonic powers, so that we can worship God as he designed us to worship him. And so sometimes what I notice, it's an interesting story about Moses because sometimes I find out that God speaks to you not so much because he wants something done, but he he wants to test your heart. Amen. He says some things to Moses, and Moses, he ends up uh, going up on the mountain. He receives the Ten Commandments. And if you remember, at the bottom of the mountain, the people of Israel had already created a golden calf to worship because they wondered where Moses had gone and, and, and they're just looking for something. to Everybody's always looking for something to worship and if God don't show up, then we find a golden calf to worship. And before Moses comes back down, here's what God says to Moses in Exodus 32. He says, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they're a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. And Lord, he said, Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn your fierce anger relent and do not bring disaster on your people now this is interesting to me because it almost seems like if you're reading this it almost seems like Moses is more merciful than God is that a possibility I don't think that it is now I don't know everything about scripture and I'm not probably the greatest Bible scholar in all the land but I do believe that what God is looking for when he's selecting Moses to lead his chosen people out of Egypt and into a promised land is he's looking for a leader that he can trust And to some degree, I believe, I don't think God's being deceptive, but I think he's testing Moses' heart. And in God's holiness, truly, he should consume the people because God is a holy God and sin cannot stand in his presence in that sense without a sacrifice, without there being some sort of of, of representation for us. So he says, Moses, I'm coming down. Don't bother me. Leave me alone. I'm going to destroy these people and I'm going to make you a great nation. If that was me and I'm listening, I'm like, oh, that sounds good, God. I would love to be a great nation and then call it the nation of clay and everybody grow up underneath of me amen when that sounds like a good sounds like a good plan kill them out god let's get started i didn't care much for them anyway i couldn't get them to obey and so so the lord says no moses then stands in the gap on behalf of the people and he says no don't do this and when moses calls for mercy while god is calling for judgment god looks down and says ah i've got a leader that i can trust here This is somebody that can stand in the gap on behalf of the people. What is he doing? He's becoming the Christ type. The one that would stand in the gap on behalf of the sins of the people. He ends up saying, Lord, if you're going to blot their name out, blot my name out too. And God says, yes. I knew I had purged the Egypt out of his heart that 40 years in the wilderness. This is the kind of leader that I'm looking for. And then so God goes on in Exodus 33, and God still continues to test his heart. And God says, okay, Moses, I won't kill him. I won't wipe him out, all right? He changed the heart of the Lord because he stood in the gap as a Christ type. And in Exodus 33, God begins to say something different. He says, you know what, Moses, here's the thing. I won't wipe him out, but I'm not going to go with you guys into the promised land. I'll send an angel with you into the promised land 
Moses' response is not, hey, that sounds good, Lord, I love angels. Send one with us, they're powerful, they're mighty beings. No, Moses responds by going into a place called the Tent of Meeting. This was a tent where the presence of God dwelt, and when he went into this place, the cloud would fall, and God's presence would show up, and they would fall face down as they worshipped God. And Joshua, the son of Nun, would go in with Moses into the tent, and it says that Moses would speak to God in the tent as a man speaks with his friend face to face. He had intimacy and communion in the presence of God. And sometimes you find out later that when he came out of the place where he met with God, like the glory of God would shine on his face so much that he'd have to put a veil over it. The glory of God was emanating from him because he'd spent time in the presence of God. It says that Joshua, the son of Nun, even when Moses would leave, Joshua, because he loved the presence so much, he would linger behind in the presence of God. You ever been to a worship service and like after it's over, you just don't want to leave? You ever been there? I know Sunday morning we're trying to figure out how to get out of these doors. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I love the Lord, I love church, praise God, but I like tacos more, hallelujah. You know, I, I know how it is. But sometimes when the manifest presence and glory of God shows up, the last thing you're thinking about is Mexican. I know a lot of y'all don't get that. You're like, I don't get that, Clay. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm telling you, though, when the glory of God shows up, something begins to happen. And he's in that place. And here's my question. He's, he goes in and he's seeking the Lord in the tent of meeting in the presence. And my first, one of my questions for church members and churches in general, and I think we have to ask ourselves this often, are we a people of program or are we a people of presence? Because I think even, even in churches today, if you go to a, a church seminar or conference, what they're teaching me and what they're teaching leaders is how, how to function, a good, how, to, how to create a good program, how to create a good production. But can I tell you, if we have a wonderful production and we have an amazing program and we don't have the presence of God, we have absolutely nothing. We have absolutely nothing. You need the externals and you need the structure. There was a structure and there was an external to the tabernacle. There was, a, there was a form. There was a production. But if it did not have the presence of God, when the glory of God departed from the program, it was worthless. And so we need to be more than anything a people of presence rather than just a people of program. See, we get so excited about the outcome. And Moses says this. He says, you know what? I know there's a promised land. I know there's a land flowing with milk and honey. But Lord, you've not said whether or not you're going to go with us. You've just told us that an angel's going. And basically what Moses is saying to God is he's saying, God, I would rather have your presence in the wilderness than an angel in the promised land. I'd rather have your presence in the wilderness than an angel in the promised land. And so, 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 so this is, all of a sudden his heart is shifting and you see somebody that can lead God's people. Why? Because he wants God's presence and God's presence alone. He doesn't want a great name for himself. What he wants is God's glory to go with him. And God is looking for a people who love his presence more than his presence. That's good right there, isn't it? Write that down. Praise God. In chapter 33, verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, Lead these people, but you've not let me know with whom you will send me. You've said, I know you by name, and you've found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So he ends up talking the Lord into sending his presence with him. After he says, look, I may get too angry at these folks. And then Moses said to him, I love this. If your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. 
You ever said that to the Lord? Lord, if, you, if your presence doesn't go with me into this thing, I don't even want to go. Lord, I'll lead this church, but if, you're, if we become a church where your presence is not there, then I don't want to lead it. I don't want to be a part of it. If your presence does not go with us up from here, then don't even send us. We don't want to go. And he says, how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? How will anybody distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said this. Moses just keeps pushing it further. He says, now, Lord, show me your glory. I want to know the weightiness of your nature and your character. I want to know your presence. I'm not satisfied with you sending an angel. I'm not satisfied with you giving us a promised land. And in other words, on a practical sense, God, I'm not satisfied with you just giving me a better job, keeping my family healthy, taking care of my kids, and giving us more stuff in this earth and giving us a bigger house. I'm not satisfied with these things. What I want more than anything, if I don't have any of that, is I want your presence in my life. I want to know you. I want to know your ways I want to know your glory show it to me God and man when that happens and there's a hunger in a person's heart when there's a hunger in a church for that kind of knowing of the glory of God all of a sudden God begins to respond he gives them specific instructions to build the tabernacle and they build the tabernacle and when they build it in Exodus 40 it says that the glory of God filled the tabernacle the glory, and, and y'all, y'all know I said this Wednesday, but y'all know the, the Hebrew word there is Shekinah. Y'all ever heard that word Shekinah? I talked about how in church, whenever somebody said Shekinah, we used to break out and shout. You know what I'm talking about? Like somebody get a trumpet and blow it because that's just, we, we were crazy kind of worshipers. But they'd say, I mean, that's that Shekinah kind of glory. What were they talking about? The word Shekinah literally means weighty. It means, in rabbinic literature, they would talk about this, that there were times when the weighty presence of God would show up. Literally, Moses couldn't even enter in. He would fall down under the power of the weighty presence of God because it was so weighty. Have you ever walked into a church service and you walk in from the back and all of a sudden you just walk into it and it feels like the atmosphere has shifted? It feels like there's something thick and tangible in the room. So you don't just want good music, you don't just want good singers, you want God's glory. You want His manifest presence. You want something there among the people. And so over that tabernacle that they built, there would be a pillar of cloud in the day hovering over it, and there'd be a pillar of fire at night hovering over it. And it says that they would set around, they, they, they tented around that presence. That's what they did. They didn't gather around the preached sermon. They didn't gather around the prophetic word. They gathered around the presence of God. When we get, I think sometimes when we come together, we gather around worship music. We gather around a preached sermon. But what God says is those are aspects and dimensions of worship, yes, but ultimately they should flow from my presence. We should gather around the presence of the Lord. And they would gather, and if that fire or that cloud begin to move, they would begin to move with that fire and with that cloud, demonstrating that we move when the presence of God moves. And we allow Him to break into our system. We allow Him to break into our program. Numbers 10, Moses said it like this. Basically, the Ark of the Covenant was representative of the presence of God because that's where that glory dwelt. And in Numbers 10, 35 and 36, he says, whenever the Ark set out, or whenever they'd pack up the tabernacle and move, Moses would say, rise up, Lord, and may your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. And whenever the presence of God came to rest again, he would say, Return, Lord, to the countless 
thousands of Israel. And so they would worship around the presence of God. And when that presence began to move out, what they would know is that presence was moving out to destroy their enemies. Can I tell you this? That when you are a worshiper of God, you begin to host the presence of God in your life. And we should expect that every time that we meet, the presence of God should go out to destroy enemies in our lives. I'm talking about addiction. I'm talking about bondage to sin. I'm talking about fear and anxiety. That the presence of God manifests to break things and defeat enemies in our lives and so he brings us into this place matter of fact David recites this same statement in Psalm 68 notice what he says he says let God arise let his enemies be scattered let those also who hate him flee before him as smoke is driven away so drive them away as wax melts before the fire so let the wicked perish at the presence of God what he's saying is in our choice to worship, what we're doing is we are allowing God to arise. We're allowing God to arise, and when we allow God to arise, His presence shows up, and the smoke is driven away, and it says, as wax melts before the fire, the wicked perish at the presence of God. We're not talking about it, wicked people. We're talking about the powers of darkness that come to destroy people. And those perish at the presence of God. In the manifest glory of God, man, people get set free. People get healed. People get saved. People are convicted of sin in the manifest presence of God. And in our choice to worship, we're allowing God to arise. And the problem is, I'm going to be honest with you. If you're honest with yourself, sometimes we come in and what we do is rather than letting God arise, we magnify the devil in our lives. We magnify our situation, we magnify our circumstances, and all of a sudden every bad thing that we can possibly think of begins to overwhelm us, and we are under tension, we're under pressure, we're under anxiety and fear. And this is why David said specifically in Psalm 34, now get this, he says this after he's anointed king, he's being chased down like a hunted man having to hide out in a cave because they want to murder him, everybody in the nation of Israel, and some mighty men come because they're outcast together. And in Psalm 34, you know what he says? He said, I bless the Lord at all times his praise shall be continually in my mouth and then he says oh magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together in the worst season of his life he said you know what we need to do we need to quit magnifying the enemy and what's going on in our circumstances in life and we need to let God be magnified in our circumstances and all of a sudden everything else will seem small See, if you learn to praise God, if you learn, I, see, Wednesday what I was trying to do, I, I got everybody in here to shout hallelujah, and I'm telling you, you ain't going to believe it, but if, if you were in here, you knew something sort of broke. Something breaks when people worship. I'm not talking about getting wild for wild's sake. I'm talking about worshiping God as he prescribed in Scripture. You say, well, I don't see that in Scripture. Well, I ain't done yet. Amen. See, we talk about, but Clay, the presence of the Lord, God, that's weird because everybody knows God's presence is everywhere. And I'd say amen to that. God's presence is everywhere, absolutely. He is, he is omnipresent. In Him, Scripture says, all things consist. Psalm 139, David said, where can, I, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your presence? But you know, Scripture talks about different levels of presence. It talks about the indwelling presence. That whenever we become believers in Christ, we repent of sin and we believe that God gives us the Holy Spirit and God dwells in us because we become the new temple. And He dwells in us. But then guess what? As believers, when we meet together, there is a corporate presence there's a corporate presence because Jesus says where two or three are gathered together in my name there I am in the midst 
So there's a different level of the manifest presence of God. And then all of a sudden it says that when we gather together, that God chooses to inhabit what? The praises of his people and so what you see throughout scripture is yeah God is always everywhere there's nothing hidden from his sight but when the people of God come together to offer a sacrifice of praise and worship the fire falls on the sacrifice and God's manifest glory and presence shows up so that they can't even stand to minister because God has entered the room Isaiah was in the temple and in the day that Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he said, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man. Of... What, what happened? He said, the glory of the Lord, the train of his robe filled the temple. And when it filled the temple, everything changed. His sinfulness was exposed and, and he, 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 was, he was in the presence of God and something was changing in him because God is inviting us into greater levels of manifested presence. And, and there needs to be in the, in the heart. Now here's what I get. Here's what I get. Most of you all, you come from different denominational backgrounds where praise and worship wasn't even a thing. Like I get that. I grew up in a Catholic church and, you know, worship was different. It was liturgical. But what I'm telling you is that you need to set aside whatever denomination you come from and you need to go to the scripture and you need to say, God, I want what you have prescribed for me. And I don't want some kind of religious setup or stronghold that I grew up in define who I am as a worshiper of the one true God. Because I'm willing to break through. Look, you're looking at a Catholic boy, son, that came into the presence of God and saw people lifting their hands. And I said, you know what? I want God. I want God, so if this is going to get me more of God, then I, I, don't care. I lift my hands. I'm introverted, but you know what? I want more of God, so if it's going to get me more of God, I will open my mouth and sing to the Lord. And as uncomfortable as it seems and as it feels and as it sounds, if everybody shout and praise God, I will give a shout to the Lord and say hallelujah. And what happened when I pushed through the awkwardness of that, I remember I told him on Wednesday that whenever I was first coming to the Lord, you're talking about a man addicted to drugs, bound up in all of these things, and I read about the Word worship of God and I went out into a field where nobody was and for the first time in my life I lifted my hands to the Lord and I started giving him thanks and I started giving him praise and I shouted hallelujah and when I did I'm telling you I felt demonic powers begin to back up off of me I felt something begin to happen what was I doing I was becoming a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit he wants he wants you to give all of yourself to him see the, we, we need to hunger for this. And you say, yeah, I still just don't believe that, Clay. Do you know, do you know that actually in the, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and it says they heard the presence of God coming for them, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the voice of the Lord. And you know what it says they did? And they hid from the presence of the Lord. I didn't think you could hide from the presence of the Lord. He's everywhere. But you can hide from communion with God. Through your practice, you can hide from entering into his presence. And some people just don't want in it. I'm going to tell you something. Demons don't want in it. And when we bring our demons in here that shackle us up and say, now don't give God praise, you're aggravated. And you know what's been going on in your life. So that's why sometimes you've got to offer a sacrifice of praise. You come in and you don't feel like it, that's when you need to worship all the more. And I get it. I get, I'm telling, I, what I'm trying to do as a pastor is break that religious and denominational stronghold off of your mind so that you can press into the deeper things of God. I, I, need, I need that to break off of your mind. I grew up the same way that everybody else did. I know the backgrounds that we come from. Like we, 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 we go to church and we sit and we're quiet and we don't move. And it's like you get a reward for how quiet you can actually be. 
You're honored and you're more holy for how quiet you can actually be. Not so, my friends, in the Old Testament tabernacle. They were looking for a song of praise to be lifted. They were looking for a people that were happy. It was like watching a UK basketball game. That was how they felt about the Lord. Like when they shot the game-winning shot, that's how they felt about the victory of God. There was a shout that came into their heart. There was a note of victory that came into their heart. And when you resist that, what it is is a religious spirit that's trying to bind you up. Amen this morning. Some people say, well, I just don't like that, Clay. I understand. But the Lord does. God comes where He's wanted. And too many people are spectators and not participators in worship. God is looking for an army and not an audience. And I'm afraid that today in the modern church, what we create is not an army at all. We create an audience. We create a production in which it's easy to come into the church and say, man, what a worship team. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's amazing. Those singers are amazing. Man, that, that word that's preached, what a good word. What a solid word. You know, that Clay's smart dude. Wow, praise God. Amen. And we have an audience that sees that, and it can happen. It happens in churches all over the world. Even when we go to worship nights or this or that, what we're doing, oh, man, I just love that vocalist. Oh, I just love that worship music. You, no, 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 no. No, they're not singing, and they're not worshiping for you to love them. They're singing, and they're worshiping because they're pulling on heaven, saying, God, we need you in this place. We need your presence here so that you can have an encounter with the living God. So when I come in, as good as my worship leaders and my worship team are, they are phenomenal. I'm not here listening to them and how good they are and how effective they are and the beauty of their vocals. I'm, I'm worshiping with them because I want an encounter with the presence of God. And this has to be, this has to be I, I really believe this is like a, a culture message for us as a church. Where we become a people of presence and that's what we want more than production or program. That we want to bring our best to God, but we want presence because worship is about presence. And see, they were called the church or the congregation in the wilderness. If you put that first image up, they gathered around the presence of God, just like we said. And so you remember when Balak, and maybe you do, maybe you don't, in the book of Numbers, a guy named Balak asked Balaam to curse Israel. He stood on the mountains, and when he looked down, here's what he saw. He saw the glory of the God coming up from the tabernacle where his presence was in the Holy of Holies. And this is the way that they encamped so that when he looked, what did he see? He saw the people gathering around the presence of God in the formation of a cross as if to say, when we gather, we gather around the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But at the center of that is the glory of God and his presence and his name and everything that he is. And see, that's where he dwelt. That's where he dwelled. And so you see that. And this is why in Psalm 100, verse 1 through 4, notice this. It says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. You ever made a joyful shout to the Lord? Sitting here on Sunday. Hallelujah. <laughs> then he said this, serve the Lord with gladness. You come in and say, golly, I got kids church this morning. <laughs> I'm meddling this morning, ain't I? Praise God. Come before his presence with singing. I thought they did that. I thought that was for them. Then it says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving 
and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. So if you go to that next image of the tabernacle there, see when they came in, the curtains out front here, that was what they called literally his gates. What they're saying is, they're moving where? They're moving toward the presence of the Lord that's at the center. But in order to get to the presence of the Lord, there was, there was some requirements. But number one, what David is saying is, yeah, used to you had to be a high priest, you had to have the blood, you had to have this. But I'm telling you that there's a way now, especially in the new covenant, covenant that we can enter in because of the blood of the lamb he says but you enter the first part with thanksgiving then you go into his courts where they're offering a sacrifice what with praise and you start to move into the presence of the lord and i'm going to tell you this a lot of churches never actually enter into the presence of the lord because they don't go through the gates of thanksgiving and they do not enter into the courts of praise man that's a good word this morning and we wonder because we leave church saying man good worship what we're really saying is man they sang well they sang well we're not saying we don't really mean good worship so 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 he's saying enter into the court enter into his gates with thanksgiving enter into his courts with praise thanksgiving is simply something comes in my heart like like if i'm coming in here on sunday morning i'm i'm up here worship and i'm just i begin to thank the lord i just lord i thank you for what you've done i thank you for who you are i thank you for what you're doing in my life and in my family's life and in this church i thank you that god you're coming today to do a work that only you can do and then i begin to behold his nature i realize he's healer he's savior he's deliverer and i start to praise his holy name and as they're singing I come into his presence according to Psalm 100 what with singing and so I don't like I'm not a good singer I don't even like to hear myself I sound like a dying dog but when I lift up my voice I sing anyway praise God and when I do I start to feel a note of victory in my heart because the presence of God begins to fill me why I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit and this is where he's chosen to dwell dwell and I enter into that praise and listen praise happens with actions you say I just don't know if I believe that clay There are seven words in the Hebrew language at least for praise. So when you read Psalms, you'll read the word praise, and it shows up in seven different ways depending on context. But we just don't, in the English language, we just fall short, y'all. I don't know how else to tell you. But one word is halal. It's to be clear, to shine, to celebrate, and rejoice in the Lord. This is like how how y'all get excited about when somebody hits a game-winning shot. It's a celebration. And then yadah. Somebody said, well, I've never felt led to raise my hands to the Lord. No, but see, yadah means raise and extend your hands to God. Todah means a sacrifice of thanksgiving from your mouth to God. Like you actually open your mouth and you give a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Shabbat. Everybody, y'all you know Shabbat. Somebody say Shabbat. Praise God. It's a good word. Use it sometime this week. But it means to shout with a voice of triumph. Barak means to kneel and bless God. That's why we come around an altar sometimes and we kneel and we bless God because it's a form of praise. Zamar means to play musical instruments to the Lord. It's a form of praise. And then Tehillah is to sing praise from the Spirit that when we connect in God, we're singing praise. And so it says, the Scripture says that He inhabits the praises of His people. When we do these things, He inhabits the praises of His people. But see, worship is something altogether different. But I want to tell you this, sometimes, matter of fact, not just sometimes, all the time, we need to move into a place of thanksgiving and praise that is inconvenient for us. Sometimes praise needs to be a little uncomfortable. 
Sometimes there needs to be a place where you come in and you open your mouth and a shout to God. And, and here's the thing. I know the religious spirit gets mad at this kind of thing because I just don't feel like that's right. I don't feel like I have to do that. Well, you don't have to if you don't want the manifest glory of God. I know, see right there, I didn't get many amens. Y'all don't feel that. Somebody say, because there's some people that just, they've already decided that's not me, that's not what I'm called to do. And what I'm telling you is that is pride and it's disobedience. Man, I know that stings. But I'm trying to help you because I'm just doing a little pastoring this morning. You don't read of a sacrifice of worship anywhere because in worship you become the sacrifice. You become the sacrifice. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He's saying when you enter into thanksgiving and you enter into praise, you start to find some freedom and that stuff breaks up off of you and you start to enter into the place of the Spirit where there's freedom and all of a sudden the presence of God shows up and you have a face-to-face -face encounter with the presence of God and it's no longer about anybody else in the room or who sees you. You choose to offer every part of your being to God in worship and there's a divine exchange in that moment where you're communing now with the presence of the Lord. And listen, this can happen anywhere. It does, there's something about a corporate gathering, but you can get in the presence of God in worship, reading the scripture at your house, singing songs at your house, getting in your closet in prayer and coming before the presence of the Lord, and He can show up in that place. And you can have a divine encounter and exchange with God, but God is looking for worshipers who are going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen? So, in the Holy of Holies, which was at the center of the tabernacle, the high priest would go once a year to offer a sevenfold sprinkling of blood on the mercy seat. So, if you look at the Ark of the Covenant, if you bring that next slide up, if you look at the Ark of the Covenant, so this was like, and I, you, you know, I got to Google these, y'all. Like, I don't make these, so but I get, I get the best I can find. All right. So when they, they, when they come into the place where that glory was dwelling and emanating, the pillar of fire uh, by night, the pillar of cloud by day, it was coming from this place. This was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the representation of the presence of Jesus Christ himself. That's what it's representative of. If you see, there were two cherubim on each side. We just, we just celebrated Resurrection Sunday. Do you remember whenever Jesus was raised from the dead? Do you know what was standing at each side of his tomb? Two cherubim on each side of where he laid. Because why? He was the Ark of the Covenant. He was the Ark of the Covenant. He was the manifest presence of God in the flesh. So in the Ark of the Covenant, it was acacia wood overlaid with gold. Acacia wood representing humanity. Gold representing divinity. Two becoming one. He's perfectly human. He's perfectly divine. God in the flesh. And inside of the, tabor, inside of the Ark of the Covenant... There were three things. There was the tablets of the Ten Commandments. There was Aaron's rod that budded. And then there was a pot of manna. And this represents God's guidance through His, through his Ten Commandments. It, re it represents His protection uh, over, through giving us leadership. And, and it represents His provision because in the wilderness, He provided for them every single thing that they needed. But guess what? When He gave them the Ten Commandments, they rebelled and worshipped a golden calf instead. When God put leaders in their place, 
And, and Aaron and Moses were leaders of Israel. They rejected it and said, we don't want those leaders. They took too much upon themselves, and God swallowed them up in the wilderness. And then God said, let me tell you the true leadership. And Aaron's rod budded as a marker to say, this is the leadership I've put in your place. And then lastly, the manna represented the fact that, guess what? Whenever God rained down food from heaven, when they didn't have anything to eat, you know what they said? We hate this worthless manna. They rejected God's provision, and it represented our sinfulness, our rebellion, and our despising of what God provided for us, even in the face of God's provision, His faithfulness, His goodness to us. You know what? All that sinfulness, you know what God does? He puts it inside of the ark because Jesus is the ark. He took all of His sin upon us. Now guess what? What the high priest would do is he would put that on the inside of the Ark of the Covenant and they would go through the veil and when he went through the veil there would be a sevenfold sprinkling of blood over the mercy seat and when that sevenfold sprinkling of blood came the presence and the glory of God would manifest and meet at the mercy seat and God's glory would be among them. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He offered a sevenfold sprinkling of blood and the veil was torn from top to bottom. Why? He's saying, I've now offered the final sacrifice where you don't have to go through all these processes to get into my presence. My blood has made a way. You have access if you're willing to enter in. Man, that's a good word this morning. You have access if you're willing to enter in because it is finished. Now, they had the tabernacle, and if you remember in Scripture, Solomon ends up building a temple, and when Solomon builds a temple instead of the tabernacle, he makes an established place for Israel to worship God, for God's glory to dwell. And the queen of Sheba comes over, and it says, when she saw all that he built, her breath was taken away. I believe that if the people of God will worship God the way that they're designed to worship God, when outsiders come in, their breath will be taken away at the presence and the glory of God. Now the tabernacle of Moses and the temple of Solomon, they showed us how to worship because number one, they showed us that worship requires a sacrifice. You weren't going to come into the temple without a sacrifice. You couldn't just come in all nonchalant and say, well, I'm here with myself. You know, the Lord, the Lord loves me more than you can imagine. I know he don't want nothing but me. And I'm just going to sit here and be quiet. No, you had to bring a sacrifice. And the New Testament turns that over and says, yeah, you don't need to offer any blood sacrifices anymore because Jesus offered his blood. But what you do need to bring is a sacrifice of praise unto the Lord. That's what Scripture says. So he says, worship requires a sacrifice. Secondly, worship requires our best. It required a lamb that was without spot and blemish. It required our first fruits. And here's the thing. And you need to teach this even to your kids. You should not be giving your best to a job or a career or a hobby or a sport while God gets your secondhand leftovers. Worship requires your best. Now, worship should function beyond just the church. It should infiltrate your job. It should infiltrate your kids and your hobbies and your sports. God is in all things. And we worship God in and through all things. But we have to make sure that He is priority. It requires our best. And thirdly, worship requires our generosity. Worship reflects what we do with our time, our energy, our relationships, our talents, everything that we are. And we've got a lot of people in here, I'm telling you, they offer a sacrifice of worship in serving, in ministering to the kids, in, in so many things that they do. They're living representatives of how, what it means to worship God. In 2 Samuel 24, 24, David is about to offer a sacrifice to God. And this guy, Arana, says, No, nah, nah, don't worry about paying me for it. I'll, 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 bring, I'll bring the lambs and stuff for, for the sacrifice. 
And the king said, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Think about that. Are you offering to God on Sunday mornings or whenever you offer it stuff that costs you nothing? You just come in here comfortable. Don't cost me anything. I'm just going to sit here and relax. I'm going to soak in. I'm going to be fed this morning. Yeah, thank God that you get fed on Sunday mornings. But do you know that God is looking for your worship? He wants your praise. And your life will be transformed in the presence of God because you bring Him the sacrifice and the offering that He truly deserves. In the Old Testament, when a proper sacrifice was offered, fire fell on that sacrifice. Sometimes in the church, the fire never falls because we never offer a proper sacrifice. The, 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 key, the key posture, or I would say that the default setting of worship in church a lot of times is passivity. I'm just going to come in and go through the motions. I'm just going to come in and set, set and, and kind of watch the worship team. Please try to remember to set your default onto this ain't about the worship team. This ain't about nobody else wash, watching me. I want to give God what He has prescribed and asked for when I come into the house of the Lord. And I want to praise Him the way that He deserves. Now, here's the, here's the last thing that I want to cover. And this is the tent of David because we talked about the tabernacle of Moses, the presence of God. We talked about the temple of Solomon, which actually came after David. You know, David could not build a temple to God as much as he wanted to because God says, David, you fought too much. You're a man of blood. But you know what? David was just like Moses. He said, you know what? If I don't get to build a temple, there's still just one thing I want. I want your presence. And sometimes I think people would prefer a temple to the presence of God. Let me ask you this. Would you prefer a big, nice building sun with a library and a coffee shop and gold, ornate stuff just hanging all around and just go in and say, whoa, look at the magnificence of this church building. Hallelujah. We'll go and let's, let's, let's worship the Lord and stand like this. You know, or would you prefer a couple of people to gather around in a circle somewhere in a building that don't mean nothing, in a, in a building that ain't even finished, but when they start to worship God, the presence of God manifests itself, and all of a sudden you're in the glory of God, and you sense His presence and His love, and tears begin to flow down your face because of the worship of God. This is the difference. David said, I ain't got a temple, but you know what? I can set up a tent. I can set up a tent and we can worship God 24-7 and we can have God show up in our midst. See, the tabernacle in the temple showed us how, but the tent of David, it showed us the heart. The tent was small, it was simple, it only housed one piece of furniture, and it had the Ark of the Covenant right in the middle of it. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, which I showed you earlier, see, before it was in, after it was in the tabernacle, and they come into Israel, now they no longer have the tabernacle set up, and they don't have a temple built yet. They're sort of in this in-between stage when David is coming into power. And for 40 years, he built a tent in which the Ark of the Covenant dwelt where the presence of God was, and he put that tent up. Now, in Samuel's time, it's interesting because what happens even before David, because they don't have a place for the Ark of the Covenant, they're at war with the Philistines. The Philistines say, look, I can tell that a lot of their power comes from that presence. A lot of their power, it comes from the Ark of the Covenant that's in that tent. So they come and they steal it, and they take the Ark of the Covenant and put it in their temple of Dagon, which is a fish man. He's half fish, half man. And they, got, and they got a temple set up to worship Dagon. They put the Ark of the Covenant beside it. They come back the next morning. You know what Dagon's done? He's fell over on his face. They say, boys, that ain't right. What's our God doing down on his face? 
So they set their God back up. Let me help you out, God. Fish God. Then they come back in the next morning. You know what happened? Dagon, back on his face, severed at the head, head cut off, arms cut off. See, because in the presence of God, even demonic gods bow their knee. And when you come into the presence of God with addictions, with strongholds, with fears, with anxieties, when you come into the presence of God over and over and over again, the idols and the strongholds that are on your life, the head of them breaks off and the arms of them break off and they lose their power over your life in the presence of God. I had addictions that I could not shake, but even when I was in addiction and in sin, you know what I did? No matter what, if I had to do it in my closet, if I had to go out in the field to do it, I was entering into the presence of God because I knew in the presence of God every knee would bow and those things that existed in me and had me in strongholds would eventually break off of my life. In the presence of God, false gods will bow. Powers, that, this is why when we come and we bring three songs to the Lord or how many ever songs we choose to bring, they are not just for songs, my friend. They are something where we're pulling down on heaven and saying, glory of God, we need you here because you're the only one that can set people free. You're the only one that can bring salvation. You're the only one that can bring deliverance. And so they stole that thing. David comes into power and David says, Man, we have got to get the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem because we need to worship God once again the way that we're supposed to. So they set out and they go to get the Ark of the Covenant. And if you remember, they put it on a cart and they're pulling it with ox. Now, interestingly enough, a guy named Uzzah reaches out as the Ark is falling and he touches it, and when he touches it to put it back up, he dies. He falls, dead. Now, you say, man, that just seems harsh to me. You need to understand something. God is a holy God. And his presence is not to be played with, especially when we come in with our sinfulness. See, there was, there was a divide in our sin. This is why the blood of Jesus Christ is something so amazing. Because you couldn't touch the holy presence of God in your own flesh. But when Jesus shed his blood in my filthiness, in my sin, I can now enter into the presence of God. Amen. So they got mad. They get upset. They leave the ark there. Matter of fact, they set it off the cart and leave it in a Philistine's yard named Obed-Edom. That's the last place they want it. They leave it in a Philistine's yard named Obed-Edom. Over the next three months, Obed-Edom senses a peace from heaven. He senses the glory of God on his life. His crops are growing up thicker. His family is blessed. His children are radiant. What, and David gets upset. He's like, what is Obed-Edom doing over there with the ark of God in his yard, being as blessed as he is? we got to go back and get it. we got to have a plan. So they get it, and he says, we're going to be more careful this time because we need to realize we can't touch the presence of God in our own flesh. And he had a revelation, and it clicked. And every six steps, when they were taking the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, they would stop on the sixth step, which is the number of man, the number of flesh. And on the seventh, they would offer a sacrifice that represented the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And see, here's the thing. Throughout your daily life, you need to recognize when you start worrying, when you are struggling, when you're dealing with all kinds of difficulty Jesus is the perfect sacrifice and sometimes when you get in your flesh you need to turn back to the Lord and just begin to worship him and begin to praise him and offer a sacrifice and bring your heart to the altar of God and say God I need you and I need your presence and he starts to show up and and and, and he has this revelation of Jesus the perfect sacrifice that gives us 
that gives us access into the presence of God. And if you remember the story, they bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And when they do, the man is in a linen ephod, dancing before the Lord with all of his might. Didn't care who was looking. And his wife, which represents dead religion, stands up looking at him. And she says, oh, oh, look at him out there dancing like that. And she gets mad because he's dancing before the Lord like that. And he said, woman, let me tell you something. I can be even more undignified than this. He said, what I'm thrilled about, I don't care about what you think or any other religious person thinks. I'm worshiping God because the presence of God has come back home. It's come back home. And see, the religious spirit always despises extravagant worship. It does. Say, but I despise extravagant worship. Well, check your heart then. (laughs) I've despised it before. I've despised it. And, and, and there is a fine line, folks, speaking from past experiences, there is a fine line between somebody going nuts and losing their mind and, and bringing a distraction into the presence of God. People do that too. I'm not talking about distraction. I'm not talking about worship in the flesh. I'm talking about worship in the spirit. Because you can go to all kinds of churches where there is lots of distractions and weird manifestations, and that's as demonic as the religious spirit is. But somewhere in the middle is a pure heart that gives worship unto God and gives thanksgiving and praise. And His glory manifests in that place and God shows up. So He comes in. I'm finishing up. But He he puts the ark in the tent for 40 years. Guess what? Obed-Edom leaves his house. He comes to David and he says, David, yo, I, I don't know what was going on when the ark was in my yard, but where's that ark at? He said, well, it's in the tent. We've set it up over there. we got 24-7 worship going on around the ark right now. Obed-Edom says, you care if I just stay out by the gate? I'll be a gatekeeper. I'll let people in and out. I just want to be around the presence. That's what, Obed-Edom becomes a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord. He said, I'd rather dwell at, in, in a tent at, a, at the gate of the house of God than be in a mansion somewhere else. That's what his heart was. And so he sets up the tent of David... He has four worship leaders, 24 choirs with 12 people each in it, 288 people in the choir, and he sets it up so that they worship seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And get this, when you read a psalm, nine times out of ten, most likely what scholars will say is that you're reading a psalm that was written by David or by one of his recorders in the tent whenever they were worshiping in the, in, around the Ark of the Covenant because the presence of God showed up and the Spirit of God came and he began to sing from his heart spontaneously and they recorded what he was singing. And it was prophetic words about Jesus the Messiah. And he's saying we can enter into the presence of God in this way. Psalm 22, 3, just like I said, but you are holy, you are enthroned in the praises of Israel. David had that revelation. Acts 15, they, they, they record... They talk about this prophecy from Amos, and they said, look, all, all these Gentiles are getting saved. And it says, and with these words of the prophets, agree just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. See, when we worship, it actually causes mankind to begin to seek the Lord. 
And he says the tent that was fallen where people used to worship 24-7, he says that's going to be resurrected. Now, it's interesting to me that just in the past 20, 30, 40 years, do you know what actually started to happen? People started worshiping in different places throughout the world 24-7 in different, in different places. Before that, it had ceased for a while. See, the tent of David is being resurrected because true worshipers are actually beginning to understand this. They're breaking free from religious bondage and they're coming into a place where they begin to understand, oh, God wants worship. God wants praise. And that's where His presence is going to show up and it's actually going to cause people who don't know the Lord to come in and begin to seek God. It's crazy. Psalm 27, 5 and 6, it says, David says this, For in time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. I can be tore up on a Sunday morning and think about that verse and say, I'm going to offer a sacrifice of joy. And then my flesh will say, but Clay, you ain't joyful. And I say, that's why it's a sacrifice. And then all of a sudden a smile comes on my face. And I say, you know what, I'm going to give a shout to the Lord this morning and see how that feels. And I feel a little bit awkward. I feel like, ah, there's people judging me. I say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And all of a sudden something changes. Amen. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just encouraging you to take a step to offer a sacrifice of joy and turn the prison that you are living in into praise. Turn the prison that you are living in into praise. Psalm 141.2, he said, Let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting of my hands is the evening sacrifice. He knew about the sacrifice. He knew about the incense. But what he's saying is, it's not really the religious ritual that you want, God. He said, so let my prayer be like incense. Let the lifting of my hands be like that blood sacrifice that they offered. So when I pray and I lift my hands, I have a revelation that how they entered into the presence of God. Now here's a new way for me to enter into the presence of God in the new covenant. This is what you want, God. Psalm 40, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And guess what? He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. See, he says he put a new song in my mouth. I don't know if you've been saved or not. I remember when I first got saved, man, I went to church, and as uncomfortable as I felt, I started praising God. I started worshiping God. I started going to an altar and praying because I wanted to give God the response that I believed that he deserved. And I wasn't willing to believe that that was just some I dead religious ritual. It doesn't mean nothing. I can sit right back here in my seat and get the same exact thing. I'm, I'm telling you folks, you're wrong. And, and I'm saying that in a loving way. <laughs> God wants more from us so that he can give more to us. So that he can give more to us. He says to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And he puts a new song in our mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And many will see that. And they'll put their trust in him. So my question is, are you tenting the presence of God in your own life? Or are you simply just going to the temple? Are you just going to the temple to check your box? Or are you beginning to tent the presence of the Lord? And what I'm saying is, is that day to day in your daily life, you can come to a place where you worship God in your car, when you wake up and you can say hallelujah to the Lord and you can sing praise to God and you start to notice the Spirit of God at work in your heart in a way that He's never been before. Just listening. Look, look, the devil knows about worship more than we do. 
Y'all ever, have y'all seen many of the secular concerts that are happening now? People dance, people shout, and they move in demonic motions. And you know what they're doing? They are manifesting a demonic anointing. And that's what happens in a lot of the music that the kids are listening to. And what I'm telling you is, it is a counterfeit of the truth that God wants to bring to us in worship. And so if Satan, Satan gets our kids to essentially worship the demonic in their concerts... And then it keeps us from worshiping God by just being dried up and stale in a church service. Amen me this morning. Y'all ain't, y'all ain't feeling me. I know y'all, some of y'all are going to be mad. Some of y'all be like, you know what? Forget this church. I'm going to one where they don't move. <laughs> Psalm 51, my last verse. David says, you don't desire a sacrifice or else I would give it. He's talking about blood sacrifice. He has a revelation of what God wants. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And he's saying, you come before the Lord with a broken and a contrite heart, and it's your one thing. One thing I have desired, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. I want to see Jesus. I want to know the Lord. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet with me. As you stand... Just close your eyes there for a minute. Just lift your hands to the Lord if you would. Just close your eyes and lift your hands to the Lord. I want to give you an opportunity. The scripture says we enter into his gates with thanksgiving. We enter into his courts with praise. Would you just begin to thank him? Right out of your mouth, just begin to thank him. Just begin to thank him for all that he's done for you. Lord Jesus, we we want to respond to your word. We want to become people of your presence. We thank you, Jesus, for that sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice that we're not just simply saved so that we can go to heaven when we die, but we have access into your presence here in the now. And so, Holy Spirit, we are asking you to come and manifest your glory. And we give you thanks for what you have done. And we give you thanks for what you are doing in our lives. And, Lord, we respond to you right now by offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we ask you, God, to do what only you can do in each of our hearts, in each of our minds. And let this become a reality. Let us, God, know what it means to worship you in spirit and in truth so that we can step into the fullness of what you have for all of us. God, we want to be a people of your presence we want to carry your glory and so we pray God that you come and you do a work in every person's heart this morning in Jesus mighty name in Jesus mighty name now listen I'm going to give you an opportunity to continue to respond whether you worship right there at your seat you want to come around this altar and you want to barack amen and and kneel before the Lord and offer up your prayer as incense or you want to stand and lift your hands as the evening sacrifice? I believe if we'll move into a place as a church where we begin to understand praise and worship, man, God's going to start to move in our lives. So just take a moment. Let's worship together and let's just respond to the Lord. Hallelujah.